Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy B. Mench, your host, welcoming you to episode number 160, and this is a heck of an episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it and putting it together for you. Let's take a look at what we're going to have in this episode. We are going to go like we always do. We'll start out by going over the news, what is new in the world of Doctor Who comics, but it's also going to include kind of a little uh, tribute to somebody who I consider to be one of the unsung heroes of Doctor Who magazine. More about that when we hit the news segment. And then we'll do a couple reviews. The first one we will do is we'll open the Pandorica on the latest part of Liberation of the Daleks from Doctor Who magazine issue number 591. That just came out a week or so ago. And then we will go into The Matrix to take a look at a comic strip written by Dan McDade featuring the 10th Doctor and Martha called The First. came out in Doctor Who magazine issue number 386 through 389. And then as you'll see by the title of this uh, episode... I had a wonderful interview and chance to chat with somebody who I think of as one of the editors of Doctor Who magazine, somebody who only edited for one issue, but she is on that list of people who was a Doctor Who magazine editor, and therefore it's another person to check off my list. Um, You know her better as companion of the Seventh Doctor, Ace. I had a chance to talk with Sophie Aldred, and I think this interview is unique because we didn't talk at all about her work on the TV show. We just talked about her work on the magazine and her writing. So I think this will be an interview that will give you a different side to Sophie that you're probably not all that familiar with. I know it was fun chatting with her about something outside of the questions that she always gets regarding being in Doctor Who, whether it be the classic series or being on Power of the Doctor and reprising the role of Ace. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed uh, chatting with Sophie. And with all that said, thank you very much for downloading this episode. I hope uh, for those people who may be new to this podcast and listening just because of the Sophie Aldred interview that you will check out previous episodes. Uh, if you are a fan of Doctor Who comics, past or present, you I think you will enjoy this podcast. I think you'll find some really interesting interviews and reviews and looks at the history of Doctor Who comics. And make sure that not only you check out your podcast feed for the most recent episodes, but go to archive.org and do a search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel or Jeremy B. Ment to find all the episodes of Doctor Who Panel to Panel as MP3 files you can download and listen to at your leisure. And with all that out of the way, let's get into this episode because there's a lot packed in here. Let's start out with the news. It's time to take a look at the news on this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Let's start out like we always do by taking a look at new releases. Um, In way of Titan Comics, there's nothing really new. We're still waiting for uh, the first issue of Doomsday to come out. So we did have a new issue of Doctor Who Magazine, which came out on Thursday, May 25th on newsstands over in the UK, as well as uh, digitally. So that's something to check out. I highly recommend it. And that means by my calculations, four weeks later on Thursday, June 22nd, Doctor Who magazine issue number 592 will come out. So that's pretty much it for the news, although I want to kind of add a little something on here um, in, in lieu of extra news. The new issue of Doctor Who Magazine came out, Doctor Who Magazine number 591, like I mentioned. And in the letter page, I had a letter published that I'm rather proud of. I think it came together really well. And it is kind of a tribute to the now 
past art director of Dr. Who Magazine, Perry Godbold. And I wanted to read this letter to you, um, one, because I think Perry is somebody who has worked a long time on Dr. Who Magazine, and she kind of uh, goes unnoticed. And But it's something that I have noticed throughout my entire career of reading Dr. Who Magazine. So I want to read this letter to you. Perry Godbold's name is one that I have seen in DWM forever. Reading that she started on this publication at roughly the same time I began reading it in the late 1980s is probably the reason why. From the first issue I bought, I have always been impressed by how DWM looked. They say appearance is everything, and with periodicals, that is definitely the case. Perry's design sense always made each issue look its best, and to see how its look has changed, improved, and meant the aesthetic of each decade between then and now is simply amazing. Being a layout designer is a job that can be easily overlooked as someone reads a magazine. Most times you are caught up in the pictures, articles, and information, and sometimes fail to notice how nice the pages look, the subtle backgrounds used to accentuate a series of photos, or the type of flow a magazine has as you look through it cover to cover. That's the work Perry has done for years, for years now, and I, for one, am sad to see her go. It would be remiss of someone not to recognize how much Perry has done for DWM to keep its look fresh, crisp, and clean from issue to issue, and to praise her for how influential, integral, and vital her artistic touch has been over her career. Thank you for your contribution to Doctor Who, Ms. Godbold. It has not gone without notice. Back in my uh, education, or my art days, I got a degree in commercial art and advertising. One of the things I always uh, was good at was layout and design, whether it be for an ad or for a, a magazine or um, newspaper, that kind of thing. It was something I always enjoyed. And like I said in my letter, it, reading Dr. Who Magazine over the decades now, since I started back in 1988, uh, I've always noticed the, the layout and design and the look of Dr. Who Magazine. And that is all because of Perry Godbolt. She is the one who has been the designer and the art director for, for, art director for DWM for since I started reading it. That's about the same time she started. And uh, I wanted to make sure everybody is aware of her work, is aware of what she has contributed to Doctor Who Magazine. And for those of you listening who have read Doctor Who Magazine, you know, any time in the past 40 years, um, 35 years, 40 years, right, roughly, um, the if you've ever noticed how nice and the DWM has looked, or how it's changed over the years, and how it's improved and and just been a beautiful magazine to read, page by page, issue by issue. That's all due to Perry Godbold's work. And I was flattered the day before this magazine uh, came out that Perry emailed me to thank me for my letter. And I am not. Uh, she she deserves all the praise that I give her, and I think everybody else should as well. Um, she is a very special person, a very special designer. And I was happy to hear from her that she's not totally done with DWM. She is still working on some special issues and, and special projects. So we will still see her work as time goes on. Um, but she will be missed in, in Doctor Who magazine. Um, and I just wanted to give her give the tribute where tribute is due. Thank you, Ms. Godbold, for what you have done for Doctor Who magazine. I and a whole host of readers appreciate what you have done.
It's time to open the Pandorica on the newest Doctor Who comic strip to come out, in which case it is part 8 of Liberation of the Daleks. This is in Doctor Who magazine issue, issue number 591. It is written by writer Alan Barnes with art by Lee Sullivan. Coloring by James O'Freddy, Roger Langridge did the lettering, and Marcus Hearn was the editor. And this is where it takes, uh, continues right on where we left off. This is uh, part eight of this hour-long uh, story of Doctor Who with the 14th Doctor, where the uh, kids or the, the people that are in the Dalek world want to be exterminated by the Daleks because they thought it, think it's part of the play. Whereas what they don't know is that the Daleks are real. And so uh, there's a kid who the doctor is trying to save from being exterminated. And uh, the the kid points out that the, the paint's still wet on the Dalek. Which makes the doctor kind of wonder what's going on. Uh, he gets restrained by some uh, tourists who are trying to stop him from letting the kid have fun being exterminated by the Dalek. But then the kid squirts the Dalek with a water pistol and the Dalek is trying to figure out what's going on. And that's when the the doctor uh, thinks that it's not the paint being wet on the Dalek. It's that they weren't really real to begin with. Um, they're becoming atomically unstable and they're kind of deteriorating. So um, the, the doctor hypothesizes that Archon energy from the, the TARDIS firmed up the Daleks, but now it was, it was just a temporary thing, and so it's kind of uh, reversing, and they're kind of going back to being imaginary. And uh, Georgie, who is the virtual version of the girl that's helping the Doctor out, um, is wondering about her because she came from the same place where the Daleks did. And uh, the Doctor is like, well, you might, you've been in the TARDIS longer, you probably will last a little longer which causes her to kind of realize that she has all these memories of the Daleks and escaping from the Daleks through various different time periods. And she's afraid she's going to, to die or disappear, which I guess would be uh, kind of something you would expect from someone who, if you suddenly realize you were a virtual person, not really real, and you were going to deteriorate, you want to know what to do or where to go or how to stop it from happening. Um, meanwhile, the Daleks, uh, confront the doctor again. And that's when the doctor, uh, lets them know that their real Dalek host, he has them captive and he can destroy them. Um, if they, they don't stop doing what they're doing or trying to take over. Um, but meanwhile, uh, Georgie to, to end the story, um, Georgie goes back, uh, the one, as it says, she remembers how there's only one place she can go, one place she might find sanctuary. And if you haven't read the strip yet, I'm not going to tell you where she goes. But that's what the final page, the big splash page is, which looks really cool. Um, Lee Sullivan did an amazing job on the artwork on this. Um, so that's this part of the story, part nine. Uh, my review of this part, it continues right on where we left off. It gives you another um, small chunk of this story, and it flows right along. Our work by Lee Sullivan is great. There's not a lot going on in this story, in this part of the story, which has happened in the past, but that's to be expected. Not every part of this story is going to be amazing and uh, action-packed and lots going on and, and big... Uh, Expl explanations or things going on in the story. So 
this is a, another part. Um, I think it's just kind of average, but we're going to have average ones. As we get further along in this story, I'm starting to think that this is going to be a story that once we get all the pieces to it and you can sit and read it in one complete setting, I think it's going to be a really fun story. It's going to feel like a Doctor Who story. Um, I don't know if I'm really enjoying reading it piece by piece and minute by minute, but in the long run, I think it's going to pay off. So good job by Alan Barnes. Good job by Lee Sullivan. Good job by everybody involved. Once again, another good part to this story, and I continue to enjoy this trip and want to know what's going to happen and what the big resolution is going to be. I am hoping that it's something that will tie into the specials that we have coming up. So I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes, and I hope you are too. You will be deleted. It's time on Doctor Who panel to panel to go into the Matrix to take a look at a classic Doctor Who story. And this time around, we're going to take a look at a 10th Doctor story, just because with uh, David Tennant coming back later this year, I felt the urge to read a 10th Doctor story. And so we're going to check out a story called The First. The First is a story that was written by Dan McDade, with art by Martin Garrity, and inks by David Roach, and James O'Freddy doing the coloring. Roger Langridge did the lettering, and Clayton Hickman and Scott Gray were the editors. The story came out back in 2007, took place during uh, Doctor Who Magazine issues 386 through 389. And if you want to read the story for yourself, if you have a copy of uh, The Widow's Curse, the graphic novel that came out from Panini back in 2009, you can read it for yourself. Or if you have Doctor Who Magazines laying around and have uh, issues 386 through 389, grab those and you can read the story first. But, for those of you who may not have that opportunity, here is a plot synopsis. Thanks to the lovely folks at altered-vistas.co.uk. 1915, and an expedition is traversing the Arctic. Suddenly, tentacles of ice lash out and touch a man named Clark. The TARDIS lands nearby, but the doctor soon notices a hole in the northern lights, suggesting something has come through. Found by an expedition, Martha notices Clark's hand has been frozen. Martha and the Doctor go with them to their ship, the Endurance. On their way there, the Doctor tells Martha that one of the expedition is James Francis Hurley, a world-famous photographer. Aboard ship, they are interrogated by Ernest Shackleton, who orders them to be kept under armed guard in the hold. There, the Doctor finds a jar containing a green egg. A man called Frank shows Ernest a piece of tentacle with blood on it. They go looking for Clark, but when they find him, he has two ice hands and glowing eyes. The doctor, Martha, and their guard Jimmy go to check on the disturbance and find Clark climbing the mast. Suddenly, the huge tentacled monster erupts from the ice and seizes Jimmy. The crew open fire, but bullets can't stop the monster which is some form of crystalline life form with an organic heart inside. The expedition fires a harpoon into the monster's eye. Ernest orders it to leave, and it does so. Later, the doctor discusses Clark's condition with Dr. Macklin, the ship's doctor. Something in his bloodstream is rewriting his DNA at a terrifying speed. Heading out from the ship once more, the expedition, with the doctor and Martha and a restrained Clark, are once again con confronted by the crystalline entity. 
through a fragment of tentacle, the Doctor glimpses the aliens behind the entity who terminate the experiment, destroying the crystalline entity. Setting up camp, the Doctor and Martha discover that the entity that attacked them was once a whale, but the aliens rewrote its DNA. Clark escapes, and the others give chase into a cave. Here the aliens reveal themselves. They are called the Skith. The expedition attempts to resist, but are subdued by the Skith and take down, taken down to their lair along with Martha and the Doctor. There they see the Mind Core, a device which lets the Skith communicate and which is the sum of all Skith's knowledge. The Skith take the Doctor away to observe his mind. They are scientists. Martha and the expedition are tied up. The doctor is taken to the skith leader, who probes his mind and realizes he is not a native of the planet Earth. The skith decide to take Martha away for experimentation, but Ernest appeals to the human part of Clark, who sets her free. The skith leader now has the TARDIS in his possession and, realizing that they are not the first aliens on Earth, decides to eliminate the doctor. The Skith mission to Earth deemed a failure because they are not the first to explore there. Minecore launches the Skith ship into space, just as Martha and the expedition burst in and rescue the Doctor. Clark explains that the Skith will destroy Earth because the experiment has failed. While Martha takes everyone to the TARDIS on a pre-programmed trip back to the Endurance, the Doctor confronts Minecore, uh, confronts Minecore and allows himself to be taken over. Clark, meanwhile, completes his transformation and attacks Martha. The Doctor is saved by Ernest, who destroys the Skith leader and helps the Doctor set the Skith ship on a course for the sun. Clark is freed of the Skith infection. The Doctor and Ernest are rescued, rescued by Martha in the TARDIS, who reverses the pre-programmed settings. And all is well that ends well. So, this is a pretty good story. It was a four-part story uh, written by Dan McDade. I thought it was neat. Uh, I have a thing for stories that take place in the Arctic or uh, in cold snow, ice. I don't know if it's the fact that I grew up in Iowa and live in Minnesota. But uh, it was a fun historical story set back in 1915. Um, I thought the the uh, alien race, the Skith, were, were interesting. They're, they look neat. Um, uh, the artwork for the story was, uh, was really neat. Martin Garrity's artwork was good. Lightnesses were spot on. Um, the skith were an interesting design. And uh, the look of people that were uh, taken over by the skith or were having their DNA rewritten looked pretty cool too. I guess there's not a lot much else to say. It was a fun story. It was a nice straightforward one. Um, I highly encourage people to read it. It was in the, the time frame that I was set in with 10th Doctor stories. It just kind of fit into that mold. Definitely had a feel of a 10th Doctor story. Uh, Dan McDay did a good job of capturing uh, the 10th Doctor and Martha, and uh, I thought it was fun. So there you go. Nice straightforward story. Two thumbs up from me. Uh, check out the first. Exterminate. Well, today on Doctor Who Panel to Panel, I have uh, knocked somebody off of my list of people I've always wanted to chat with. Uh, one of my goals on Doctor Who Panel to Panel was to chat with as many editors of Doctor Who magazine as I possibly could. And today I have the pleasure of talking to one of the uh, special editors, I guess I would say, for lack of a better term, Sophie Aldred. Sophie, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's a real pleasure. And, uh, 
Yes, of course. I'm very <laughs> special. A very, very special. <laughs> well, well, well I, I'm guessing this is something that you probably don't get asked about that much. I know you were, it seemed like you were kind of surprised when I asked you to sign my, my magazine issue number uh, 255 from back in 1997 was when you were the special guest editor of Doctor Who magazine for one month, one issue only. It's extraordinary. Uh, I mean, I don't get asked about it very much, although I have to say it. I'm very, very grateful to DWM because they always invite me to editors' parties. Oh, really? Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very, very always very happy to go to their parties. And, oh, that's uh, awesome! Yeah, they throw a good party, so <laughs> they're very they're very generous to oh. allow me to go. Very cool. Well, I know the 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 people listed as the flunkies underneath your editor title are uh, Gary Gillett and Alan Barnes. So were they the ones that came and approached you and said, would you be interested in, in doing something for Doctor Who magazine? Yeah, they were indeed. I mean, Gary and Alan, I'd known them for, for years through conventions. Well, let's say probably in about 10 years when we did the uh, Doctor Who magazine, maybe okay. a bit less. And um, I'd always I'd always got on really well with Gary and, and Alan. And um, yeah, Gary suddenly out of the blue said, hey, why don't you come and do this, edit this? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, but I know absolutely nothing about magazine editing. <laughs> you must realize. And he said, oh, don't worry about that. You know, we, you, we'll, we'll do all the work and you uh -huh. can just take all the glory. So I thought, <laughs> great, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> uh -huh. So... Um... I know that you're you're a writer, and editorship kind of falls into that line. So, yeah. did, did the fact that them asking you to to kind of be a guest editor kind of entice your writing juices a little bit, and say, you know, what kind of falls along the the same category or field? So, yeah, let me give this a go. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'd we um, Mike Tucker and I had done the um, Ace book by then. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Ace, the inside story of the end of an era. And I mean, gosh, this shows how long ago it was. <laughs> I wrote all that out long form, you know, by uh -huh. hand. I've still got the notebooks, I think. Um, so I wrote all that. And then poor old um, poor old Gary Russell had to edit that oh, one. Yeah. But I kind of I when I was much younger, I had wanted to write. That's what I wanted to do, as well as act. Uh -huh. um, I used to write stories for my brother, who's three years younger than me, um, stories to entertain him, really. Okay. And then looking back at my, I've still got all my old um, English uh, books from school, and um, I look back in them, and I used to write quite good stories, you know, for a uh -huh. teenager. Um, and then I remember I wrote one of these stories for my brother, and it was a sort of funny kind of light-hearted story with crazy characters and the teacher put at the bottom of the story you should begin to write more mature stories now Sophie and it just shows the power of a teacher because that kind of I allowed that to affect me in such a way that I thought oh well I'm not really good at this or I'm not good enough mm -hmm. Funny, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure yeah. that everybody listening to this can probably think of a similar incident when somebody said something to you and 
whether they meant it that way or not, you've turned it into something that was actually negative. And I didn't really write that much again. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, when I did the Ace book, that really kind of, that was what got my juices going. And then I guess, you know, Gary and Alan must have gone, oh, okay, let's. Uh But I've always had an interest as well in magazines um, and books. In fact, it's funny, my brother ended up in magazine editing. He is... Um, oh, he's he's been involved in magazine editing for years and years and years. Um, and I've always, always loved reading, loved um, the process of um, publishing as well. You know, uh-huh. sort of magazine editing is something that fascinates me, um, you know, and, and, and also I love print magazines as well. Yeah. Oh, I've actually got the latest episode of Dr. Oh. Yep, right. you do. They still send it to me, bless them. Oh, that's awesome. And, and I just, I really enjoy um, seeing what they've chosen to write about each month and uh-huh. how they've collated it and the layout and everything fascinates me. So sure. I, I love design as well. I love the way that things are laid out on the page. Um, so, yeah, that sort of thing has always really appealed to me. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So, so when you got involved in doing this issue of Doctor Who magazine, um, how much of the the process did you get to see and participate in? As far as I did they like show you all the different things that they were doing? Whether it be here's the comic strip for this issue, you know, here's the reviews we're going to do, here's an interview we're going to do. Um, a, a lot of this issue seemed to be kind of geared towards you and and yes. your era. Yes. Exactly. That's exactly what Gary did. And he showed me everything. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and we were able to together to decide, you know, what went in and, um, and then the sort of collating of all the material. Um, I mean, I could never really properly do a magazine, you know, because that's not my field. Uh It was just great to have him guiding me. Um, and I kind of knew by that time as well, I mean, I know that the people at DWM know this as well, full well, but what the fans would like to see me presenting to them, if you yeah. if you see what I mean. You know, so I think it's, um, yeah, uh, Gary would send me all the stuff and, you know, yeah, and, uh, and yes, this photograph, da-da-da-da. So I did have a, a bit of a hand in choosing what, what what was going to go in sure I, I know for me uh looking through this issue after so long like one of the things that stuck out to me when this issue came out was the article about the uh the unmade season 27 and 28 there was a, a really good in-depth interview or uh article by dave owens about here's what we knew we know or what people have said about possible stories or stories that were going to be in in your in the in Sylvester's uh, era of Doctor Who, if the show would have continued, and I think that was a, a something definitely that plays to you, but also lets the fans kind of get a glimpse into what could have been. And I think that's something that a lot of us fans, especially of the classic era, when when it went off the air in '89, that we were like, "What do what did we miss out on?" You know, it, it ended on such a great season that we wanted to find out what would have happened next. And this article for me was one, uh, a really good way of 
kind of given you that glimpse into uh, what could have been. Yeah, that's a really good point, isn't it? Because it's hard to believe now that in 1997, we didn't have any Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. Um, And we didn't know that any more Doctor Who was on the horizon. Um, So it was a sort of like a bittersweet experience of like, ah, you know, this could have been. And I think what was great was that um, I think, I mean, you know, maybe everybody can correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the first time that this had been kind of publicly said, you know, this yeah. is, these are some of the ideas. And I think it was really important in those days to feed fandom. I mean, let's face it, without Doctor Who magazine, without Big Finish, without the fans, mm-hmm. Doctor Who would never have come back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was it was this it was all those things that were fueling the wilderness years, as we call them now, Uh Um, you know, because it really was a strange time. I remember going to I went to a museum opening, I think it was It's very small museum in the southwest of England. And I was doing a signing there. And at the top of the stairs, just as you went up into the museum, there was a Dalek at the top of the stairs. And I was sitting there and a mum came upstairs with her youngish child. Uh-huh. And the child said to her, Mom, what's that? Pointing at the Dalek. And that was the first time that I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, there are some people who are growing up, a, a whole yeah. generation who are growing up not knowing what a Dalek is, not yeah. knowing what a Cyberman is. So this was a really crucial sort of um point for the fans to have their doctor who doctor mm-hmm. who magazine and big finish really important yeah I'd and, forgot. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I totally agree with you you know the in 96 we had the tv movie with paul mcgann but you know we all know that didn't really go anywhere so for for me doctor who magazine was the the I think the the beacon that kept Doctor Who going through the whole 90s and through the wilderness years, that was something that was always there month after month, no matter what. And talking to uh, past editors of Doctor Who magazine, like John Freeman, for example, he's he's told stories about how close the magazine was to cancellation. And I think I, I like to give DWM a lot of credit that the fact that they were there month after month and keeping that that torch burning for Doctor Who and it was something that people could see on the newsstands month after month, just as a reminder, along with like the the Virgin novels and the BBC books and Big Finish audios, that Doctor Who was still around, even though it might not be something that was, you know, in the, the cultural zeitgeist at that point in time. It was still something that re- people were reminded of, you know, even just seeing a glimpse of it on the newsstand. Absolutely. And just... As you were speaking, then I was thinking, wow, that's actually quite an amazing thing, isn't it? That Marvel Comics and uh, Panini Mm -hmm. actually believed in Doctor Who magazine so much. And that was because of the quality of those editors and people like John, Gary, um, other Gary, uh, <laughs> you know, all, uh-huh. all of them. Yeah. If it hadn't been such a good quality product, and if the fans 
hadn't been buying it, then yes, it would have folded and you know, there would have been and maybe, I don't know, you know, the BBC may yeah. not have been so encouraged to put it on. Yeah. So gosh, it's very, <laughs> yeah. Well, good for them. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's it's interesting <laughs> to look back on. Um, looking back on this issue of DWM, do you have any really fond memories or something that stands out to you of of working on this issue with with Gary and Alan? Yeah, it was the day that I went down to um to visit them all to see. Uh, to the office and I spent a day in the office with them and um, it was such fun you know the the offices were in a beautiful town called Tunbridge Wells which is in the southeast of England okay and it's a lovely little market town and it's it's a sort of like a quintessential English place uh-huh. and um the Pantiles, which is where the, the the address where the where it was um, uh, came from, is mm-hmm. this sort of little lanes, you know, and and you went up into, and then the office was really lovely, and it was just full of Doctor Who stuff, you know. That's oh, my bet. memory. <laughs> and then uh, long tables with stuff all over the place, all over the tables, and. But just everyone who worked there, very warm, very welcoming, very fun. And we just had such a laugh. It was really a lovely, lovely day. I'll never forget that. Oh, that's awesome. You know, the looking, looking over this magazine, I was looking over again today, um, just seeing the stuff that was in it was really interesting. Uh, and to see how a lot of this, the stuff that's in Dr. Who magazine has carried over even to the present. Um as far as the the types of articles and the DWM archive, in which case, in this issue, it was Dragonfire, of course. Looking back, mm-hmm. you know, on on that story, yeah, um, how a lot of this stuff has carried over from from year to year and from uh, through the whole history of DWM and uh, been expanded upon. Like the archive now is something they've done numerous times, but it seems like whenever they, if if you would track a, a story like Dragonfire. And see how the archive has found more information and added yeah. on and looked at things from different angles. How what you think might be just a kind of a one-shot review of a story over time gets ex- expanded upon and, and built up even more. And mm-hmm. to me, that's interesting how people can look at things differently and how there's no matter how much information that we find out about something, there's always more hidden somewhere that people seem to dig up. Oh yeah. And Doctor Who fans will dig it up. (laughs) Yeah, most definitely. I I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's, it's brilliant and, and very forward thinking of the editors and the people who work on the magazine. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, the this issue, uh, if, if people want to track it down, it's issue number 255. It has a picture of Ace right on the cover. Our guest editor, Sophie Aldred, hosts a special look back at season 27. That that was a seller for, uh, you know, that issue back in 1997, because it was like we've said, it's people, us fans wanted to know about season 27. We want to know what we had missed. And the, the little bits of information that we had gotten up to that point were greatly expanded upon in this issue. Um, one thing is I want to t- want to ask you real quick before we go. Um, 
I don't know how much you've read of your character in Doctor Who magazine as far as the comic strip goes. My my uh, podcast normally focuses on comic book stories or comic strips. Oh, and and we we know what kind of a tragic end Ace meant in the comic strip. <laughs> and when that story came out, and what did you read that story? Did you hear about it at the time? And what did you think about when you found out what happened to Ace? Oh, I was shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and the, I mean, I loved it because, you know, it's a toss-up, I think, as an actor. Uh, You know, you want a heroic death because it's so cool. Uh But then you think, oh, but I can't do any (laughs) more. Now, the advantage of the Doctor Who world is, hey, yes, you can, because it's a different timeline, you Uh know? Yeah. So um, I was very fortunate to somewhere along the line, I got hold of some original artwork from the comic strip. Oh, really? Still have it. And it's very precious. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I, I I was very, very pleased with the way that Ace was drawn as well. Um, I, 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 I think, um, I think, it captured Ace incredibly well in the comic strip. Oh, that's awesome! I, I know uh, you were just here in, in Minnesota in January for the the, uh, the console room convention, and somebody had asked you about all the different takes on Ace that have been around over the years, whether it be in the novels or the comic strip. And I like how you you said it's just another strike of the anvil. There there's so many different timelines for Ace and so you can you can have the best of all the worlds, you know, you can have that heroic death, you can have Ace becoming a time lord or time lady and you know, you can have Ace being in uh, the power of the doctors. So we you we got it all from you. It is so cool, isn't it? I'm really glad mm-hmm. about the anvil and it's all timey-wimey anyway, isn't it? Yep, exactly. Well, Sophie Aldred, it was has been a pleasure to chat with you today. Um, thank you so much for chatting with me about your your uh, run, however brief it was, as editor of DWM. And I'm glad I was able to check you off my list. And uh, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today. I'm absolutely delighted that you asked me, Jeremy. Thank you very much indeed. I first met Sophie Aldred at a Doctor Who convention way back in 1993. I'm sure she doesn't remember meeting me or the fact that I drew a, a, a portrait of her and sent it to her via her agent way back then. But uh, it was a chance. It was great to meet her once again this past January up here in Minneapolis at the uh, console room convention, and talking to her or mentioning to her that I wanted her to sign a Doctor Who magazine because she was the editor on it and how I did a podcast. Uh, it was great to see that it, it looked like it was something she doesn't get talked to very often about or asked about and having the chance to interview her about working on it. Uh, I think you can tell by the sound of her voice that she really enjoyed her time hanging out with the guys uh, in the Doctor Who magazine offices and uh, had a good time uh doing something a little more on the creative side, not of the acting side, but more of making things come to life in a magazine. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. Sophie is one of the sweetest, most wonderful Doctor Who people you'll ever meet. Uh, Right now on Twitter, there's kind of a a thing going on about name a celebrity who was extremely nice and ones who are kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. And you definitely have to put Sophie on the super nice side. 
So thank you, Sophie, for chatting with me, and I hope to see you again down the road at a Doctor Who convention. I hope that those of you who download this episode and listen to it enjoyed it, and I hope to meet those of you who listen uh, somewhere down the road at a Doctor Who convention. And I would love to hear your feedback on this episode, so you can always reach out to me. Give me a, a positive review on iTunes. That would be great. It boosts the numbers of people who listen to this and makes it a little bit more prominent in the vast ocean of Doctor Who podcasts that are out there. Also, you can always uh, reach out to me on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2. You can find me on Facebook under Jeremy B. Ment or Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Or you can send me an email at Doctor Who Panel to Panel at gmail.com. Let me know what you think about this episode or the past uh, several episodes or however long you've been listening. I would love to hear from you. So, until next time, I hope this episode finds you well. And this is Jeremy Bent saying thanks for listening and bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you. Thank you.